Welcome back to Rebellious History. This is Liz Busquets, and I'm finally getting back in the groove after having to suspend all my plans for the podcast due to COVID-19 and having to set up for online classes. March was Women's History Month, and I did not get to my Women's History podcast on time. So occasionally, I will be adding podcasts for the Women in History series. Today, I have chosen three women of the 17th century or 1600s. The first one is Sor Juana Inés de la Cruz. She was born on 12 November 1648 and died 17 April 1695. She was the illegitimate daughter of a Spanish captain and a Mexican-born woman. Her maternal grandmother owned a big hacienda, which is sort of like a plantation, meaning that they were well-to-do. So she led a comfortable life. At the age of 16, she went to live in Mexico City, and she became a lady-in-waiting for the wife of the viceroy of New Spain. At that time, women could not attend a university, and she asked her mother if she could dress as a man and attend a university. Of course, she couldn't do it, but she made sure that she educated herself reading and studying. To test her intelligence, the viceroy invited several men of intellect with whom Juana had to debate and converse about law, theology, and poetry. She received several proposals of marriage during this time, which she declined, and her intelligence and knowledge impressed everybody she talked to. She finally entered the Monastery of San Joseph and later joined the Haronimite nuns, which had more relaxed rules than the Carmelite nuns that she had been associated with before. Being a nun allowed her time to study, which was the most important thing for her. She collected a large number of books and published poems under a pseudonym. She made enemies quickly, though, She wrote a critique of a 40-year-old sermon, and scholars have interpreted it as a critique of the hierarchical structure of religious authority. She was told to stop her secular studies, but she did not. Instead, she continued writing, and she advocated for women's rights to formal education, for the right to be considered intellectual authorities, And also, she argued, that women should be teaching other women. Her radicalism quickly made her extremely controversial, especially among religious authority figures. So, by 1693, she seemed to have stopped writing poems to avoid censure from the church. Eventually, she supposedly sold all her books for charity, over 4,000 of them, but other sources argue that the church actually confiscated the books. Unfortunately, only a few of her writings and poems survive. Among them are some poems like The First Dream, a drama, two comedies titled The Ponds of a Horse, and Love is but a Labyrinth, and also some music. In these works, she criticized men and patriarchal society, She died fairly young when she became infected by the plague while taking care of other sisters who were sick. 
She is forever associated with feminist advocacy and has inspired generations of feminists. The second woman that I'm going to talk about is Catalina de Erauza, also known as the Lieutenant Nun. Now, her life is very interesting and unusual. She was born in the Basque country in northern Spain in the late 1500s. Her father was a military commander and taught her and her brother to fight. This was, of course, rather unorthodox for a father to be teaching his daughter the art of warfare, but he did. They then eventually put her in a convent, but after being beaten by a nun, she decided to escape. Shortly after, she decided that the best course for her was to pretend to be a boy, so she stole some boy's clothes and cut her hair real short. Then she traveled around Spain under the name of Francisco de Loyola. Eventually, she found work as a page until she decided to try her luck in the New World in 1603. All this time, she continued to pretend that she was a man, and apparently her appearance was rather masculine. She wrote in her memoir that she used a secret ointment to supposedly dry her breasts, presumably to make them smaller. We don't know what that ointment may have been. She disembarked in Venezuela when she finally arrived in the New World, and from there she moved around and spent some time in Peru as well. She worked in several haciendas. She was sometimes an outlaw and smuggler, and she even worked as a soldier in Chile for some time. She got into trouble quite a few times for fighting. Apparently, she had a very bad temper and was very quick to ask other men for duels. Apparently, also, everywhere she went, she was able to attract women, but as soon as they started talking about marriage, she would leave for obvious reasons. Some of these times, she took off with the dowry money. So she would take the dowry money, still pretending that she was a man and that she intended to marry these women. And then before the marriage, she would take off with dowry and all. In Chile, she ended up killing her own brother in a duel and ended up in prison for several months again. In 1623, she was arrested again and was about to get executed. So this time, she figured, I have to do something. They're going to hang me. So to save her life, she confessed that she was a woman. And they got, um, the authorities got a group of matrons to examine her. And of course, they indeed corroborated that she was not only a woman, but was a virgin. They sent her back to Spain, and she became sort of a celebrity. The Vatican requested to speak to her, and she spent some time in Rome as well. Eventually, she returned to the New World, this time to Mexico, where she established herself as a muleteer, apparently still dressing as a man. It was in Mexico where she died, although the exact place and date have not been determined. Of course, because of her autobiography and the documents that have been found about her, many scholars have debated about her sexual orientation. In her autobiography, she described many relationships with women and none with men. So some scholars have concluded that she was transgender, others that she was a lesbian. 
There are some versions of her biography out there that were reinvented later on with the intention to add supposed relationships with men in order to de-lesbianize her and the story. Obviously, at that time, any of these alternatives would have been rather complicated and dangerous to a degree. All in all, it seems that she managed to navigate the gender and identity notions of her time and challenge patriarchal notions as well. So we have in Catalina and Sor Juana two very different women, one of them being a criminal at times and the other being saintly and extremely intellectual. Both women, however, challenged patriarchal society at the time in their own way and took great risks in doing what they did. The third woman I'll speak about today was born in the late 1600s, and her name is Maria Sibylla Marian. She was born in Germany in 1647 and died in 1717. She was one of the first naturalists to observe insects directly. Her stepfather trained her in painting, and by the time she was an adolescent, she had already started to collect insects. In 1679 and 1684, she published a two-volume series on caterpillars, where she documented the stages of metamorphosis. At some point, she moved to Amsterdam, where she continued her work, and she was also allowed to take in students so that she could teach them not only painting, but also about insects. At some point, she decided to engage in even more adventures. Her husband had divorced her, so she decided to travel to Suriname, where she studied and made beautiful illustrations of fauna and plants of Suriname. Therefore, she contributed greatly to the identification and classification of countless species at a time where scientific endeavors were mostly conducted by men. If you go to the Rebellious History Facebook page, you'll see a post there where I added pictures of these three women and a link to some of Maria Sibylla Marian's wonderful illustrations. So this is it for this short episode. Tomorrow I will be adding the second episode in the series about religion in history. Don't forget that you can send me questionable memes or themes that you would like me to address in an episode by writing to me at rebellioushistory at gmail.com. Thanks for tuning in and stay safe.